0: The NBA is back. Where else can you get this
2: type of drama? Where else does history hang from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your
1: own city home to your biggest rival? The battle
2: of LA is
1: real, people.
2: And 30 feet is
0: still in range.
1: Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history still in the making? Oh my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Welcome to another episode of the Butting Heads Podcast. I'm Steve Barrow I'm here with Johnny Gomez. The Rams beat the Raiders last night pretty handily in the second half, although we were sweating a little bit. Johnny, I know you've been uh, gloating all day about this victory. How are you feeling?
2: <laughs> gloating? Me? Never. Um, yes, absolutely. Gloating. Just rubbing the victory in the face of so many Raider fans. As I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of, Raider fans tend to um, let's just say they tend to gloat a lot about any minor victory, and just to see them defeated pretty decisively at home, yeah, I I I, I had to rub it in their face a little bit, just a little bit.
1: <laughs> you know, I tweeted about the victory lap that the Rams fans took after the 49ers' loss to the Vikings it might have been. A little premature for a couple of reasons, but I feel like everyone that tweeted heavily about Jimmy G being terrible and how the Niners were trash was definitely sweating during, especially during that first drive last night. But uh, luckily, everything worked out for us. So before we get into it, you can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Android, Player FM, and iebeatradio.com. Our show airs there Wednesdays, Saturdays, and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. Once again, that's Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on iebeatradio.com if you want to check us out on there. And, of course, whatever you're listening on, give us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts, if, if you enjoy the show, of course. If not, just don't review us. Negative reviews don't help anybody, right? Just so we can get into this quickly, I'm going to give a shout-out to our sponsor here, and that is Jim Hawks' book, Hollywood's Team Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. Jim has been a great sponsor for us, guys, in this book is really an incredible piece of history because I know we're all you know, we all love anything Los Angeles Rams and this is a bit about the history of the team with a personal touch. This book tells the story of the nineteen fifties Rams through the lens of Jim Stad John, who played offensive of lineman for this team from nineteen fifty three to nineteen fifty seven. It's a sun story of his father and the team he played for in the era of glitz, glamour, and future hall of famer. Guys you can fi- learn about in this book include Norm Van Brocklin, Tom Fears, Crazy Like Hirsch, Les Richter, and anyone else that played through the story spanning the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. Just give him a follow there. It's available in both hardback and electronic format, at Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. You can also find Hollywood Seam through various other booksellers on the internet. Guys, I really recommend this book. It's worth every penny for any Rams fan out there. But it's also just a great story about a person's father and the legacy he left behind. And guys, trust me, it's Hollywood's team. Grit, glamour and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's worth your time. All right, we have real football to talk about. It has been a long couple of months since the Rams lost the Falcons in the playoffs, but here we are. 33 to 13 win for the Rams. It was an ugly first half, but Wade Phillips, the king of the second half adjustments, turned it around. So Johnny, let's just let me get your instant reaction to this one.
2: Well, I'd scream, but I, I don't know if our listeners would uh, li- uh, would appreciate that too much. <laughs> yeah, a- anytime the Rams can come into Week One with the victory, albeit it wasn't the most prettiest win, but at the end of the day, it was a victory, and the second half, as you mentioned, turned out to be a pretty dominant one. So. <laughs> I'm I'm ecstatic about this season. I really think a lot of this factored in to Sean McVay basically sitting the entire offense for the first for the preseason. And it, it showed in the first half. There just was a lot of a lot of little quirks in, in the system, you know, different things that just didn't click, especially in the receiving core. Goff hadn't really connected to his receivers too well. And even down to coaching as well, there was a couple of offensive drives that I had a couple of question marks about, and we'll get to that a little bit later. But yeah, it, it definitely showed that the Rams needed some sort of beginning to shake the rust off. And I think that's kind of the purpose of preseason. But I totally understand McVeigh's feeling on, on the preseason. He wants to get everyone there 100% healthy. And that's why he didn't want to risk it. But there is the cons, which, as we saw in the first half, you know the the Raiders, you know, looked a lot more comfortable out there in the first half than the Rams did.
1: Yeah, and I I still stand by Sean McVay's decision to not play the starters of the preseason. You know, maybe a drive or two might have been nice, but I I don't blame him at all. And we did see a lot of good players go down in the preseason, so. If this is the result of not putting starters of the preseason, that's fine. And leading up to the game, the more I thought about it, I still very much expected a win. Um, But I I started to think that it might be a little closer than we thought. And the first half coming out, I I did not expect the Raiders to shove it down our throats in the first drive like they did. But offensively, you you could imagine that it was going to take a little while to get going. Now, obviously, you mentioned coaching. I think giving Todd Gurley more than four carries might have things up a little in terms of getting the offense back into form but really just in that first half Goff didn't look sharp that a lot of the play calling as we mentioned didn't look sharp it was it was just really sloppy offensive football overall we missed a field goal I believe that was in the first half I mean that they played in the preseason I'll give that credit to the field there but yeah it was it was an interesting game to see the tail of two halves because we really we didn't look great in the first half a couple plays didn't go our way that And then a couple plays did go our way that might have made it even more out of hand. John Johnson kind of saved what could have been a deeper hole with that pick in the the end zone there. So it is exactly how you'd expect a team to come out when they didn't really play at all in the preseason. The defense played a little. The offense didn't play at all. And so they looked a little rough at first. But speaking of guys... That looks sloppy. Let's we'll dig a little deeper here. Jared Goff looked not good in the first half. Better in the second half. But there were still just, just some things that didn't look great. He missed on a lot of balls. He Some of the passes he threw in the red zone, I, I wasn't a fan of. Surprisingly, he missed Robert Woods a lot. Do you think Jared Goff's performance here, just him shaking off the rust, or do you have any actual concerns about it?
2: I have no concerns, really. Like you said, in the first half, he was very rusty. That was very evident. But as the game went on, we saw Goff kind of progress. And yeah, he still missed his targets on Robert Woods. But I actually kind of had the opposite feeling on that. Uh, Yeah, it would have been nice to see him connect with Woods here and there. But what I absolutely loved in seeing this was that I love seeing a confident Jared Goff. This was a guy that... Stepped into the pocket and just delivered, you know, he wasn't afraid to throw the ball downfield, which is kind of something we weren't used to seeing in a guy like Goff uh, in the past few seasons. He had his reservations to kind of throw the ball downfield every so often. But this is a guy that seems like he's willing to take more chances. He was willing to throw the ball, you know, in tighter windows, which I mean, that didn't exactly work out all the time, but, you know, the the fact that he's willing to do this and, you know, at at some point it's going to click, you know, he's going to shake off the rust and we saw that we saw that in the second half. And I think that we'll see him continuously improve as the weeks go on. And if he gets to that point where he's comfortable enough to throw downfield and connect with his receivers this is a guy that's gonna get well over four thousand yards in this season. I I am that confident in what I saw. Again, he he still needs to shake off the rust, but I'm not concerned overall, you know, with the missed attempts. Yeah, Jared Goff,
1: eighteen for thirty three, two hundred thirty three yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, only sacked once. Uh the the offensive line played phenomenal in both the run protection and the pass protection and Without Jamon Brown, that was very nice to see. Not that he's the most impact player on the line, but you're still losing a starter. Now, I I'm with you with the deep ball thing, and Derek said the same thing on the post game podcast, which if you haven't listened to. It, it was was very good. Give it a listen. It is really nice to see him letting it rip and giving giving a chance on those deep balls. And we've mentioned this in previous podcasts. This was a, a football team that played horizontally for years, years, just. Did not throw the ball downfield ever except for like that one year where Chris Gibbons got the ball a lot. That was like the only time I can remember us playing vertical. But it's just awesome to see him letting it rip. He didn't really connect on any of them, but Brandon Cooks drew some drew some penalties. So in a way, he kind of d- did as a result of him going deep. We moved the chains up. He almost – he came very close to hitting Robert Woods on one of those two off his hands, but it wasn't really a catchable ball. So I, I think I'm with you. I have slight, slight concerns because I didn't like his red zone passing. I think he, he didn't do a great job of looking off receivers in the red zone. He, like you said, he tried to throw it in traffic a little bit too much. He got a little too cute with some of those passes in the red zone that could have turned out worse than they did, but luckily for us, everything worked out. So I'm definitely, I wouldn't even say cautiously optimistic because I'm, optimistic with slight slight concerns i i think him robert woods three receptions for 37 yards on nine targets so he's looking for woods they they didn't connect as much as you'd hope but at the same time cup was five for nine on targets cooks was five for eight so it is what it is i i think next week we'll get a clearer picture the cardinals aren't great but patrick peterson that secondary it's, it's not the worst in the league so i i I think I'm okay with Goff, and I'm I'm with you. The deep balls were really nice to see, and the the target splitting I think we expected too. Uh, as I just mentioned, eight targets for Cooks, nine targets for Cup, nine targets for Woods. Everyone's going to get the ball. There's there's malice to feed here, and if you look at the, you can check out my Twitter at Steve I I quote tweeted a tweet breaking down the snap breakdown. The Rams offensive skill players basically played the whole game. I mean, we saw, I'm going to read this, five snaps from Gerald Everett, four snaps from Malcolm Brown, two snaps from Johnny Munt, and two snaps from Josh Reynolds. Other than that, the group of Cup, Cooks, Woods, Higby, and Gurley was in on just about every single offensive play, which is crazy. We mentioned the coaching, Johnny. I'll let you air out your concerns here. How do you feel about how the coaches coach this game overall? I
2: think most of my concerns are on the offensive side of the football. It's real easy to kind of pinpoint it in the first half on the defense, too. But I'll get to that in a second. My primary concerns on the offense was also in the first half, but just playing a little bit of devil's advocate here. My major concern was you have you know the offensive player of the year last year and Todd Gurley, and you only hand them off the ball what four or five times in the first half.
1: Four times, not yeah. Even
2: four times. That that's not even enough in a series, much less an entire half. How how is that even possible? He was the offensive player of the year for a reason, and I get it. You know they wanted. To they wanted Goff to step up and you know air the ball out get get more uh, get him more in a rhythm, but at the same time you you have Gurley use him feed Gurley hashtag feed Gurley you know <laughs> that was my biggest concern and it was uberly frustrating to see them on in the red zone and they don't run the ball. I'm like, how? I mean, I can only imagine what's going through Gurley's head. I mean, he's like, okay, I'm right here. At least throw the ball to me, you know? And that's what was so frustrating because the Rams have this extremely talented running back but refused to use them in the first half. That kind of switched over in the second half. I think McVay kind of readjusted the offense there and said, oh, yeah, that's right. We do have that, you know all pro running back on our team after all let's use him and he was given the ball 15 more times in the second half so (laughs) yeah in the end I I have to say uh, that the coaching in the first half did concern me but part of me wants to or I should say hopes to say that you know McVay may have wanted to do it this way To kind of shake off the rust for Goff, because his offensive strategy completely changed in the second half. It it wasn't even close.
1: Yeah, the the girly thing was weird, but I think, like you said, it was he he probably wanted to get Goff loose. Whether that was the right or wrong choice, I think we've been through so many terrible offensive coordinators that we're gonna give McVay the benefit of the doubt, even though. We both probably disagree with the first half calling. We had a red zone possession with about 240 left in the half. We ran the ball once. Todd Gurley got four yards. And then we threw it twice. And neither were great plays. Neither were great passes. So that I didn't like that. That was really the big thing that stuck out to me about the first half of offensive coaching. I think McVeigh really turned it up in the second half. That first drive, a nice six-minute drive. Gurley touched the ball a lot on that. It ended in a field goal. But... You know, what are you going to do? It was it was a really great drive to set the tone, and then the defense really took over from there. We could talk about the defense here because Wade Phillips really, really did a great job adjusting in the second half. To you know, he we completely shut them down in the second half. Derek Carr looked incredibly flustered, made some terrible throws, in, including a pretty much dagger pick six near the end of the game to Marcus Peters, which was. Awesome. He had another weird interception to Corey Littleton that was just not really an explainable throw. But we got torched. <laughs> I almost said a different word. We got torched in the first half by the Marshall and Lynch. We couldn't tackle him there. I don't remember the name of their tight end number 87. He finished with like 180 yards. Our we got torched by their tight ends. And that kind of falls on the linebackers and the safety just a little bit too. Now, what I want to know is, do you think the tight end problem that we saw in this game is something that could be recurring with our linebackers? Do you think that having Mark Barron back will kind of sew up that hole in the defense? And then you can give me your thoughts on the defensive coaching too.
2: (laughs) So first off, what word were you going to say there, Steve?
1: I don't remember. I I erased it from my (laughs) memory.
2: (laughs) okay so it's a
1: four-letter word that is just that i can't i can't place it It's just completely erased from my memory since 2014
2: you have a soundboard right steve i I do awesome so that means i can say no i'm just kidding okay so uh as far as number 87 goes are you sure you don't remember his name not even just a little bit
1: (laughs) now i have to say it because you thought i said a a different four-letter word i i almost (laughs) i almost said we got cooked and then i changed my mind (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean i was i wanted to do a bit where we just didn't mention his name but god of all the freaking players i got so irrationally angry during that packers playoff game i don't two years ago where jared cook made that ridiculous game-winning reception i mean this guy dude he was so terrible on our team and then comes out against us and gets 180 yards, the audacity of this man. And in classic Jared Cook fashion, he has the game of his life, and his team loses by 20. So there you go, Jared. I hope you had fun torching your former team because your team sucks. Johnny, continue.
2: <laughs> so tell us how you really feel there, Steve.
1: Ha Man, you know, and i was, I'm, was I'm a Was he over your grits a little bit? I, I can't stand this, dude. Everyone who I, I watch games with knows whenever he's just on the field, I'm just like, get get out of here. I'm, I'm not watching this. And, you know, I'm a fantasy writer, and I literally can't write about Jared Cook because I, I shouldn't be allowed to do it. That's the one player where I cannot give an unbiased opinion on. I don't care that he had 180 yards. Still tight end, two in my book. I'd keep him on the waivers. Uh, anyways, <laughs> you, you can continue. You got me all riled up now.
2: Yeah, your goose is cooked on this subject. <laughs> Boo. the puns just keep coming, man. The, oh my God. By the way, <laughs> by the way, uh, to our listeners out there, I couldn't help but just kind of torture Steve with these terrible, terrible puns. Maybe I'll say them a little bit later, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, to answer your question a little bit do I think the tight end situation is a concern? Yes, absolutely. There is a reason why Cook did well in this game, and that's because yeah. our linebacker is the weakest part of the defense. Now, overall, Wade Phillips did come in in the second half and adjusted to give a, give the linebacking core a little bit more help. They were just torched they they had no <laughs> they had no answer in the first half for for cook and even a little bit in the second half too. cook got a few receptions here and there in the, in the second half, albeit not as much in, in the first half, but this is going to be a cause for concern every single week. You know, maybe not so much with teams that don't have, you know, the gifted tight ends on, on their team, but still even, even the guys that, Aren't putting up huge fantasy numbers. They they might you know playing against this Rams defense, but again, part of that too, as you mentioned, is Mark Barron being out. Mark Barron is the leader of the of the linebacking core for sure, and his experience is you know you you can't replace that with with the the rest of the linebacking core. It it just it doesn't it doesn't uh, compare. And part of what made Mark Barron so valuable is his experience and coverage um, as a uh, safety in in uh, his previous lifetime. But this is what needs to happen now. We need we need there to be we need the linebacking core to step up, and they did for the most part. Corey Littleton was a a, f- a factor in this game, and he did get that kind of easy interception, but even without that interception, he was all over the football field. Uh, and I, I do I do actually uh, uh, commend Littleton for stepping up so much because I'd say I was confident in Littleton's ability, but he did kind of surprise me a little bit. What are your thoughts, Steve?
1: Littleton's my player of the game, honestly. And I, I think we could save more of the Mark Barron stuff for the Cardinals preview. So we'll talk about that later because there's... A guy in that backfield that's going to be very relevant to having Mark Barron back, but Corey Littleton, man, I we could talk about our player the players of the game here because he's mine because you know he's not the best play he wasn't the best player we had in this game. If I had to pick an MVP, it would probably be Curly, who ran ran all over the place in the second half. Maybe Mark or Marcus Peters. I guess I would split it because he completely locked down Amari Cooper, him and Talib, and the the Raiders receivers were. Essentially non-existent. I mean, they had the most receptions for a Raiders receiver was three by Jordy Nelson for twenty-three yards. Jalen Richard and Jared Cook each had nine receptions. So let let's save the the linebacker stuff for the Cardinals preview because that'll be very relevant going against David Johnson next week. But yeah, Littleton, man, he I didn't I think you had higher expectations for me. He's never really done much to impress me he's been I thought he was a fine backup stepping into the starter role what wasn't you know super confident in it but man he played great he made a lot of tackles he had obviously that interception it was kind of a a gimme interception but he put himself in the right place at the right time I he made me feel a lot better about the linebacker situation moving forward same with Samson Ebukem who he had a penalty there that wasn't great, put the hands to the face. He, I don't think he played as well as Littleton, but he was very solid too. And the, the two of them together, I, they made me feel a lot better about the linebacker core, which was clearly a cause for concern with this team. And kind of looking at the the breakdowns of the defense. So Littleton played a hundred percent of the defensive snaps. The only other players that played 100% of the defensive snaps were the four starters in the secondary. Peters, Johnson, Tlaib, Joyner. The next highest linebacker was Ebukam with 77% of the snaps. Ramick Wilson, 47 And they actually gave uh, Christian 53% of the snaps, which I thought was pretty surprising. But yeah, Corey Littleton really stepped up. Johnny, who's your player of the game? Ooh,
2: this is kind of tough because I'm inclined to kind of side with you about Gurley, but I'm going to give this one to kind of some, to a group of people that are highly ever celebrated, and that's the offensive line. The offensive line, I, I mean, I don't think, I think it shocked Goff on how much time he had. And it even got the better of him on one play when Bruce Irvin caused him to fumble, thankfully um they got
1: the ball back but can we can we talk about havenstein's dive on that fumble i feel like he leaped like (laughs) 10 feet to get on the ball that was incredible
2: i was surprised to see him end up with the football i was like whoa Uh, the replay his dive
1: was awesome man that cracked me up
2: (laughs) i was actually concerned about that too like um uh I had seen the dive, of course. I mean, it's hard to miss it, but at the same time, you, you see you see nothing but Raider defenders around the football, and I'm like, how how did he still end up with the football with so many Raider defenders around? But, I mean, at the end, we the Rams did end up with the football, so good news for Goff there. But other than that, there really wasn't a whole lot of misstep by the offensive line, and I I give them a lot of props because they also opened up a lot of holes for Gurley as well. So if this is what we have to look forward to, especially with Jamon Brown coming back from his suspension, this is going to be an extremely entertaining offense. And I look forward to seeing this offense continue to develop, especially with this offensive line playing so cohesively.
1: Yeah, the line was incredible, man. They... They did their job to a T perfectly. And they all played hundred percent of the snaps. No break, no breaks for any of those guys. So that was awesome to see. Austin Blythe really slid in there at guard for Havenstein and not Habenstein, sorry, for Jamone Brown. And we didn't we didn't miss a beat on that end. And I think the the line and the cornerbacks were hands down the most impressive units in this game. I mean, even with Gurley who played great. But like, like I said, Tlaib and Peters, man, people talked about how they're going to butt heads, no pun intended, and they <laughs> <laughs> and that like they could be too loud of personalities. They walked into Oakland and just completely shut down their receiving core. Mar- Amari Cooper, who is a polarizing player, and you know, this could be part of a bigger conversation that we're not going to delegate on this podcast because that – out of Raiders podcast. Amari Cooper, one reception for nine yards. Jordan Nelson, three for 23. I mean, they just, the receivers were just completely taken out of the game. It's just, for, for, we've had good cornerbacks over the years. I, I love the Tremaine Johnson and Jonas Jenkins pairing. I thought they were real underrated, but we have never had something like this. I don't, I don't know if we've ever in the history of the team have had a cornerback duo that just, Uh, To quote my boy, Janoris Jenkins, is as much clamp season as these two could be.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But can you say that for us one more time,
1: Steve? Clamp season. (laughs) Shut up. The real ones, remember, Janoris Jenkins used to post a clamp on Instagram every day with the hashtag. Or every game day with the hashtag clamp season. (laughs) God, I love that guy. I miss them but i'm happy with what we got
2: <laughs>
1: i, I kind of miss
2: the chris long tweets as well
1: uh yeah though i have both of their jerseys and i think they both left the same year which was a bummer those are two of, two of my favorites man and they're both they're <laughs> both still playing and they're both still having a lot of success chris long has gotten two super bowl rings uh janoris made a pro bowl i don't remember if he made one last year but he he's obviously having a doing well in new york so shout out to them man those are they deserve better, and they've gotten better. Although, I hate the Giants, so I don't know. I don't know about you, Norris. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've delegated the Raiders enough. But before we move on, let's give a quick shout-out to our sponsor at the Golden Ram Barbershop. If you're looking to support a member of the Ramley out there in the Orange County area and you like an old-school barbershop experience with a bit of a Ram's touch, you should check out the Golden Ram Barbershop at 13755 Golden West Street in Westminster, California zip code 92683 our friend sal martinez opened up his shop as a shrine to the rams on the day the team left for st louis and he has kept the lights on ever since he's available by appointment only guys so make sure you give him a call at 714-894 rams at 714-894-7267 if you want to head in there just so you don't show up and get turned away i know sal wouldn't do that but make sure you set an appointment and make everyone's lives easier use the promo code rams so he knows who sent you and that you can get a discount on an already affordable haircut. The Golden Ram Barbershop is open Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And Saturdays, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sundays. Guys, you're going to a Ram shop, he's watching football. One more time, give Sal a call at 714-894-7267. A visit to Sal's shop is worth it. Not only just to enjoy all the crazy, historic, and room-filling Rams memorabilia, but Sal also provides that old-school barbershop experience, and he'll talk Rams football with you and anything else. Trust me, guys. It's an awesome shop. All right. So we're going to get to the Arizona preview in a little bit, but we got some news and notes from the team to talk about here. We're going to start with Farrell Cooper was injured last night and Michael Thomas also injured his backup, not, not a receiver at punt returner. The big, the big thing, like we mentioned, our receivers played 90%, 97% actually of the snaps, C- Cup, Cooks and Woods. So we're losing two receivers though. So, we're not going to miss a beat as long as those guys stay healthy. But more concerning is the kick returning and punt returning perspective. Cooper Cup filled in at punt return last night when Cooper was out. But what what do you think the team should do here? You think we want to roll with someone like Cup, or you think this is worth bringing in an outside guy? Cup,
2: Kadero Hodge.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know if he is going to be the kick returner. I don't know if that's what you're insinuating, but if those two guys are injured. It- seems like he's our boy's gonna be brought up which is awesome
2: yeah i i would hope that hodge would get a a shot here i know he wasn't exactly the the, the target here but i would like to kind of keep cooper cup out of it just because i feel like his value as a start uh as you know well he's not technically a starter i guess but i feel like he has more value as you know a receiver then as a special teams guy, I I don't really want to put him in a situation where he might get hurt, you know, playing in the special teams. Because even though Cup did kind of have a tough first half, he bounced back, and this is a guy that can be very valuable to this offense. But if it comes down to it, you know, just depending on how long, you know, Thomas can come back at least, uh, you know, you you might need to to put Cup there they could try and, and bring somebody in, but I I would try and roll with Hodge at least, at at least attempt it. And if they're not confident with, with Hodge to, to take on that role, they may, they may have to bring in somebody else. They may have to uh, see what, what's available in free agency. I highly doubt a trade would happen so early in the season.
1: Yeah. And this, this could be, no, I haven't dug in too deep on the waiver wire in terms of kick returners, but you got to think that there's a specialist out there that you can get. Maybe they throw, I don't know, even on this roster because Cooper and Thomas have been handling the duties pretty much full time. I think Daryl Hodge kind of has the the player type to be able to do it, but like I said, I, I really have no idea. Maybe one of the running backs, maybe that's how you try and get John Kelly involved or something like that. I don't know. So it, it it would be a little bit early for a trade. But then again, and I'll mention this briefly now, Mark Barron and Matt Longacre both took pay cuts recently that cleared up $2 million more million in cap space. So we actually have $9 million in cap space for this year. So on our last episode, we kind of delegated what we thought the team was going to do with the cap space. So we're not going to get too deep into that. But that could be used to bring in a return specialist. I don't think anyone costs $9 million, but – you never know, but you know what I'm thinking, Johnny? This team has a Tavon Austin-sized hole in it. Oh, no. <laughs> you, did, you
2: didn't go there, did you?
1: <laughs> it had to be said. But, um, yeah, I mean, I trust Fossil to find a proper replacement. I think if both of these guys are out next week, Kadero Hodge will be on the roster just because you don't really go into a game with four receivers. That's just kind of asking for trouble. And, we, like I said, Cup, Woods, Cooks, they're not going anywhere. So there's no reason to bring in another guy because they're not going to play. Like, you know, a Des Bryant type guy. We have no room for it. So, yeah, that, that I think we'll see Hodge. And it'll be interesting to see how else they move forward on that. Speaking of interesting developments, the Rams, after they signed Aaron Donald, offered Oakland a first and a third round pick for Khalil Mack, which they rejected. They ended up getting a better off from the Bears. But the Rams according to Schefter would have paid Mac and then traded him after this season because they couldn't afford him in 2019 I just I just want to hear your just reaction to reading and hearing something like that
2: I I mean I I would have loved to seen that happen just because that's just less need being Sneed I mean he, he's a brilliant general manager in my opinion and uh, you know, argue if you want. You know that some of his ideas didn't work because, true, that is absolutely true. But I, I think it's brilliant. I mean, it, it just it's sad that he it, it didn't work out, but it, it was a perfect move for the Bears. And Mac is uh, making the Raiders regret that trade, and I'm sure they certainly regret that trade after last
1: night. <laughs> you know, I I'm not ready to say that they regret it because. It's too early until we see how the picks turn out. And obviously, he's better than most of the NFL. But I don't know. It The whole situation was so weird. I don't think they regret it because they didn't really try to keep him. But who knows? Now, having Mack on our team would have been unbelievable. And it is – it's just such a – it would have been such a creative move to bring him in, trade some heavy draft picks. But you, you add Khalil Mack to the Rams, you are the – hands down favorite for the super bowl we're we're in the conversation now but you put a little mac on this team it's said and done the rams will be the favorite to go to the super bowl and that's an all mentality you would want to go for now we would have no picks on the first two days of the draft which wouldn't be ideal but we have really had them in recent years anyways and look how it's worked out and then it's it is crazy to see that they would have traded him in 2019 because because uh, I think they would have been able to afford him next year long-term. They wouldn't have. And I have a piece coming out on Rams talk soon, breaking down the cap situation next year and in the next couple of years. So you can kind of figure out why after next year, they would not have room for him. It's just, it's going to get a little murky, but yeah, this, I just like seeing Snead doing stuff like this. And I know you said some of his stuff didn't work out. He's had some bad draft picks, but I feel like every acquisition he made, that didn't reek of Jeff Fisher, i.e. Jared Cook and <laughs> Cortland Finnegan, and who's the cornerback we talked about last time?
2: Oh man, you're gonna make me dig that up again. Oh my god, whatever. We
1: <laughs> Cody Sensabaugh. Okay, Cody yes. Sensabaugh. Anyways, <laughs> I I think his track record I, He's he's been hit or miss on draft picks, but I think bringing in talent from the outside wise, it's been former Fisher guys and then it's been moves that have, for the most part, worked out. So there you go. Let's touch on this briefly, the Rams' team captains that they were not announced when we did our last show, Johnny Hecker, Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, Andrew Whitworth, Michael Brockers, and Akeem Tlaib. The three defensive captains from last season, which were Connor Barwin, Alec Ogletree, and Tremaine Johnson, are no longer on the team. And Aaron Donald hasn't been a captain for the last two years because he hasn't shown up until like days before the season starts. So I was really happy to see Michael Brockers in here. He's been with the team for a while. He's been a starter on the team. I believe every year he's been here and it's, it's really nice to see him get his due. That's a well-deserved C patch for him. Akeem Tlaib, not a surprise. He's a vet. He's the leadership on this defense. Andrew Whitworth, Todd Gurley, Johnny Hecker, returning captains. Johnny Hecker's been a captain for a ridiculously long time, which is awesome to see. And Jerk Goff getting his first C-patch in his third season. He's a leader on this team, and I think he deserved it. How do you feel about these Caps?
2: Well, going down the list, Johnny Hecker, who is Steve's preferred backup quarterback. You know, (laughs) Johnny Hecker is by far the best punter in football, so no surprise there. Todd Gurley, I mean, feed Gurley even right now feed girly jared goff who has actually stepped up in the past uh past season and i see him becoming a leader before our eyes which it was a little cloudy at first but now now it's starting to now starting to be that he's starting to fulfill his number one starting uh role and live up to his number one overall draft pick andrew whitworth I mean, if without him, I'm not sure this offensive line is as good as it is. And I'm not sure if Goff even progresses as much as he has without Whitworth. He's the true veteran on the team. Heck, he's even older than our head coach. Yeah. And then Brockers, I've been a huge fan of Brockers since we brought him in. I've done a couple of different pieces on him. Um, Michael Brockers. Is literally the unsung hero on defense. He's his job is literally to make everyone better on defense, and still he manages to bring in some tackles here and there, and a couple of sacks here and there. So I, I, I thought it was kudos to make him a captain, and then of course to keep Talib with a with a a guy that plays as big as his mouth. Yeah, you, you, you need to make him a leader as well.
1: Whitworth was responsible for almost as almost as responsible as Sean McVay was for turning around the team in here last year. I mean, you just bring in a guy like that; he's a vet. He just completely changes the culture of the offensive line, and it's it's good to see his do. And Taleb might be doing that with the cornerbacks right now, but not that that needed a huge culture change. And you mentioned Johnny Hecker being the backup quarterback. I just want to say this, all right? Because you mentioned this. To me, when we were texting today about Jared Cook, I don't hate Shaw Mannion. I just don't think he's that good of a quarterback. If we had a second-string quarterback that wasn't him and we kept around as a 3rd string or whatever. He seems, by all accounts, a good guy. Uh, good locker room presence. Jared Cook, not a good locker room presence. Didn't try. He, as uh, one of our friends on Ram's Twitter, Austin Rezier was so pleasant to remind me today. Shoved Austin Davis on the sidelines during a game, which... I brought back some dark memories of another reason why I don't like this dude, but, ugh, worst ram in history, Jared Cook. Congratulations, buddy. All right, <laughs> before we move on to a preview against one of our division rivals, guys, I know summer's coming to an end, but luckily for you guys down in Southern California, there's never a bad time to take care of your pool. If you want to remodel, resurface, or get a pool, and why not, it's never too late, Check out Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling at 4780 East Wesley Avenue in Anaheim, California. Jayhawk Pool Plastering Remodeling serves Orange County in the Southland and is run by Jayhawk, the eldest son of former Ram John Hawk. He built his business on the mantra of fantastic results and amazing customer service. Head on over to his website at jayhawkpools.com and take a look at their work. You can see the quality in their finishes and testimonies provided by happy customers. If you're looking to remodel, resurface, or even put in a new pool, give Jayhawk a call at 714-695-0700. Again, that's 714-695-0700. If you prefer to email them, you can hit up info at Jhawkpools.com. Guys, this is a great opportunity to support our podcast, support one of the members of the Ramley and a guy who's been a great sponsor for us. So if you live out there in the area, give Jayhawk Pool Plastering and Remodeling a call. You'll be happy you did. All right. This week we have the Arizona Cardinals, a division rival who in week 1 looked horrible. Sam Bradford, one of our guys, former Rams quarterback, no hard blood, looked terrible. The offense, horrible. Larry Fitzgerald, seven receptions, 76 yards. Hey, that's not bad. David Johnson, he found the end zone. He put up about 67 total yards. Now, before we get into the minutiae of this matchup and what Arizona could potentially do to exploit us on a scale of one to 10, how concerned are you about this game?
2: Negative 10. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Considering. Okay. I, I, I do respect the NFC West teams just because Right now, the Rams are the team to beat. I mean, they're the only team in the West with the victory. Yeah. So they're the team to beat right now. So the Cardinals are going to play lights out, or at least try to. That being said, I consider the Raiders a much bigger threat than the Arizona Cardinals, especially after what we saw in week one. I just, there's nothing there at all. I mean, are you concerned at all, Steve?
1: No. I'm not going to go negative 10. I'll give it a 1 because (laughs) trap games happen in the NFL. Strange things happen. I I don't want us to look past this team because this is a game we need to win because we're going to have games that we would like some leeway to lose when we play some better teams. We should not lose to the Cardinals. By all accounts from what I've heard, Sam Bradford looked scared. He didn't look like he – was ready to play and if you're scared going against the Washington defense you're going up against a guy who has it admittedly said on the record multiple times that the quarterback he tries to beat up the most is Sam Bradford because some team decided to draft Sam Bradford number one overall ahead of Ndamukong Suh now I don't remember what team that was but somebody did it back in 2010 (laughs) and that resulted in losing to Clipboard Jesus in the playoffs. But I, I'm not really concerned about this game overall, but there are factors of it that concern me because and we alluded that we're gonna come back to this. The Raiders eighteen receptions between Jalen Richard and Jared Cook. Now the the Cardinals tight end is Ricky Seals Jones, who isn't never mind, not gonna say whether he's better or worse than Jared Cook, but he he's not frightening. <laughs> He is a, a decent and promising player, and somebody that, you know, if we're giving up 180 yards to Jared Cook, Seals Jones could do some damage. And then you got David Johnson, who Mar- Marshawn Lynch didn't do a ton, but he kind of dragged defenders a little bit. And, I mean, listen, Marshawn Lynch is an all-time great bulldozer, but he's 32. David Johnson is a monster. He's, I think, personally, is the most talented running back in the NFL. He's a guy that can catch catch passes, and can dominate on the ground. And I'm – well, I don't think we're going to lose this game at all. I think Johnson can do some things that will exploit the Rams' defense in ways that other teams that are better with good running backs and good tight ends could take advantage of. Now, Mark, I think Mark Barron coming back is paramount to the Rams' defense this game. And the fact that he was – ended up being doubtful, I'm not – Optimistic that he's going to play, but if let's say Barron doesn't play, I mean, how much damage do you think Johnson could do against the team and to a lesser extent? Seals Jones.
2: Ooh, well, first of all, you you mentioned you mentioned Bradford. Does he have an ACL left?
1: <laughs> the poor guy, man. It, I've I've been a Bradford defender, but uh, if he continues to play like this, there's nothing left to defend. He, he <laughs> I mean, I I man, just the
2: the thought of this guy staring at at the the scariest defensive line in football. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be passing much. They're going to be dishing the ball off to the Johnson a lot. But there's only so much he can do also. It, it's going to get to the point where the Rams are going to probably stack the box just like how other teams did with Gurley. It's not, I I think Johnson will get the better of the the Rams' defense, you know, uh, quite a few times. it, It may even get to the point where he has over 100 yards rushing. But at the end of the day, will it be enough to really make a huge impact on this game? I highly doubt it. And the few times that, Bradford is going to throw the ball. He's got to he's got to release that ball quick, and I mean super quick. Otherwise, you got a hungry Sue there, and you have you have Aaron Donald, Brockers. These are all guys that and that could potentially end his career. And he's he's one trip over a pebble away from ending his career. So we may see Josh Rosen in this game. Um, it's that serious
1: He he's only sacked twice in week one but Washington's defense is not not what the Rams are so they're gonna be coming I think you're right I think we will see a stacked box for the Cardinals because Johnson is obviously the big concern he's he's a beast and the receivers I mean Larry Fitzgerald somehow is still doing his thing but other than him man you want to guess how many receptions the Cardinals receivers had besides Larry Fitzgerald on Sunday
2: I'm curious about this what's cooking there
1: one one catch (laughs) one catch and I want to pull up the pro football reference box score here because ESPN isn't showing players that didn't have receptions but had targets and I want to see if that's that's accurate that there was just no other players with with targets so we got this up now let's see targets chad williams had three targets no receptions and he is a receiver yep had to confirm that so i mean <laughs> the guys christian kirk is a rookie got a little time to get in the groove but if you're a rookie and you're going against one of a Talib and marcus peters you are probably not going to have a good time i trust one of them to Lockdown, Larry Fitzgerald, who I mean is still really good. Which man, father time is never going to catch up with that dude. And it kind of sucks for him that he's he's stuck on this team this year. But yeah, I think we'll see stack boxes, and Sam Bradford is going to have to win this, and the receivers are going to have to win this game for them. And there is absolutely no reason to believe that they will, like none, no no reason. So let's let's just do it, man. Give me your score prediction for this game.
2: Let's see. Do I become vicious or do I be sensible on this? I think they blossom. could be one and the same.
1: Mm,
2: this is true. I just realized, though, sensible sounds a lot like Sensaba.
1: <laughs> we got to <laughs> stop forgetting that dude's name, man. Why do we keep talking about him? I don't know. How does he keep anyway, coming up?
2: Mo- I don't know. Okay. Moving on from Sensaba. Uh <laughs> I I'm I'm predicting a 45 to 10 victory here.
1: I'm going to go 37 to 14. And I I hate predicting blowouts and as a concerned fantasy owner, I hope David Johnson scores those two touchdowns in my prediction. Please, but yeah, this is this is should be well in hand. The Rams have shaken off their rust and it's a division game, so it wouldn't shock me if it was closer. It would shock me if we lost, but if it's a little closer than that, if Sam Bradford kind of gets his mojo back, whichever's left, I I still feel like there's a good quarterback in there somewhere. But when you average four point yards per four point five yards per pass, uh, that just kinda sums up Sam Bradford's career, man. Right there. <laughs> right there. Alright. You you got any parting thoughts? Anything you're looking for this game on the Rams side?
2: Just that if if they score a touchdown at all, I hope it's to Larry Fitzgerald because he's on my fantasy team. <laughs> I don't think I'm gonna start Fitzgerald. I don't think I am. No, but
1: I'm, uh the one league I own Fitzgerald in, I'm lucky enough to have backups that I could play because I think in the same league I started Amari Cooper last week and Marcus ouch. Peters not yeah, I I won that matchup somehow, anyways. But Marcus Peters not really a guy I'm gonna be willing to play receivers against. And now there are matchup proof players, as we saw with Odell Beckham this week. You know, when we play, who who are the better receivers we play? I'm trying to think. Who do we play? Who do we play in the oh the AFC West? Yep, I don't know.
2: Not much to speak of there.
1: We don't play Hopkins. We don't play Odell. We don't play julio we i mean those we don't play antonio brown so we'll we'll have to discuss that on a later date when we play like stefan diggs or guys in that tier receiver but yeah man for me on the ram side i'm looking for some more polish from jared goff i want to see him play a little better with the receivers a little more i i'm happy with the performance we got but i can see a little more cleaner uh maybe a little better red zone play calling for mcveigh but he will always have my full trust until we have reason to believe otherwise. But, yeah, and then if Mark Barron doesn't play, I really want to see how we go about guarding David Johnson in the passing game. That's that's another thing to watch for. But it's we should be 2-0 next week, right?
2: Uh, you know, if we're not 2-0, I am going to be severely disappointed, and I will never hear the end of it. Probably from Raider fans. <laughs>
1: Or Niner fans, man. I'm Rams Twitter, I, I don't know. If, I know you probably didn't look. They were on another level just ripping apart Garoppolo after that week one. <laughs> but, like, we – and I tweeted that we got flat out – I tweeted we got absolutely embarrassed by the Vikings last year and that we shouldn't be taking a victory lap over this. And people were too quick to point out that maybe we didn't get absolutely embarrassed and maybe absolutely was a stretch. But we did get embarrassed by the Vikings last year. We did absolutely nothing on offense in the second half. Let's not act like it was—it was a close game in score. But watching that game, we never—I never felt like we were gonna win after like the second drive. But eh. Garoppolo goes against the Lions this week, who got torched by Sam Darnold. So if they play bad this week, we could throw a freaking parade, man. That right, then's the time to be petty. man jimmy g okay no fantasy five this week uh i figured we'd have a lot of football to talk and we did but if you have any fantasy questions or concerns you can find me on twitter at steve ribero feel free to reach out with anything you can follow rams talk on twitter at talk rams if you want to get ready for johnny's inevitable return to twitter you can follow him at johnny506 If you want to follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash rams talk, find the rams talk room on there. That's where we talk to our friends. That's where you can find all our content. Not sure if it's going to be come out this week, but be on the lookout for my piece on the Rams salary cap. It's going to be a big one. It's definitely some good lunchtime reading. I broke down the cap scenarios that we could potentially have next year and then 2020 and beyond that once we have to deal with Jared Goff. So would appreciate feedback on that whenever that comes out. Uh, We'll tweet out the link. And don't forget to find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and IEB Radio. All right. For Johnny Gomez, this is Steve Ribeiro. We'll talk to you guys soon.
0: NBA is back. Where else can you get this type of drama? Where else does
2: history hang
1: from the Raptors? Jalen Brown throws it down. Where else is your own city home to your biggest rival? The
0: battle of the LA is real, people. And 30 feet is still in range. Hurry, oh,
2: action.
1: Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? Where else is history still in the making? Oh, oh my goodness. Where else? The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV.